Welcome to episode 59 of Reading with Rory, the podcast where three friends discuss the 300 plus books on the Rory Gilmore reading list. I'm today's host, Karen. I'm Sarah. And I'm Liz. Okay, so today we are talking about The Country Girls, uh, written by Edna O'Brien. It was published in Ireland in 1960. Now, as far as we can tell, the novel itself does not show up as a reference in Gilmore Girls. Shocker. I know, right? <laughs> we're, we're seeing a trend here. Um, nevertheless, its author, Edna O'Brien, does. And so maybe because this was kind of her most famous work, you know, that's you probably go. why it shows up. Okay, However, well, this counts. Yeah, sure. so we'll, we'll give it. We'll give it. We'll give it a pass. Um now this, so Edna O'Brien shows up during one of Rory's literature classes with our, with a podcast favorite, Max Medina. Um, Max Medina. Max I know. Medina. Max Medina. I know. So this is in season <laughs> I think one. We're like the only people that like Max Medina. <laughs> but I'm, I, I, can't, I, I, I cannot Max believe that's true. So no, great. People like him. There's mm. no way. I don't know. Um, anyway, well, okay. So this is during one of Rory's classes. This is season one, episode 11, by the way. So Max is referencing a quote, and he includes a quote. Well, he he's talking about various authors, and he references a quote from Edna O'Brien saying that every writer should read some Proust every day. So that is the only reference that we could find. But since it comes from Max Medina, we will take it. And I yeah, think sure. we will go like with it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to so, guess that's it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so speaking of delicious things, what are we eating for Friday night dinner, everyone? Sarah, what are you eating? Mm, um, I've got a little apple cider donut here. Um, mm. Seasonal treat. It's very tasty. Um, our sister-in-law came and dropped some off that she she got from a yummy place far away. And um, we've been feeling sick, recovering from cold. So forgive if there's like abrupt muting here to... <laughs> to um, to cover my sneezes, but I do, I'm having a get well soon apple cider donut that is just doing the trick. Well, that sounds absolutely lovely. Apple cider donuts might be one of the greatest, um, like seasonal desserts, I think. They're real good. I'm also having a little, uh, just coconut pineapple sparkling water, just Target brand. It's not fancy, but it's very refreshing and yummy. So you're having a lot of like fruit involved with your treats with so my that's with well my done. sweets yeah I'll yeah yeah that sparkling apple water's not exactly that donut. sweet yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly I, okay. I call it fruit <laughs> <laughs> yeah just so much fruit yeah just put an emphasis on the fruit the apple cider donut <laughs> yeah uh-huh um well okay liz so what are you eating um i was having some soup earlier because it also snowed today so fun fact uh yep. winter's Welcome here to utah so um, I had some soup, and it was pretty delicious, actually. So um, It's a good, I cozy, good snowy Sunday mm-hmm. meal. I like it. Yeah. Um, what uh, what kind of soup was it? Well, it was like a, the Italian wedding soup, kind of, you know, some like little noodles and little meatballs. And, uh, <laughs> okay. I mean. Uh, sounds great. It is actually, it is pretty good. I mean, it is just progresso. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, like, you didn't make soup. soup, yeah. But, uh, but Liz it, did make a really good like Zupa Toscana. Liz can make a good soup, so yeah. um, we'll give her credit for that. I was even. trying to like put the facade on that it was one of my. Yep. Really good soups, <laughs> but it was just progresso and uh, called on it. Fine, it's cool. It's cool. But it did hit the spot. I mean, like I don't normally. It's like been a while since I've really just wanted soup, right? Mm-hmm. And here it is. It's come. Like it's weird how it's like Pavlovian. Like it snows and the sweater goes on and the soup comes out. So we're good. soup's on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it has been kind of warm here, though, so I feel like it hasn't really been like a lot of the normal. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of fall Indian foods, summer. right? Like it's just mm-hmm. been a little bit too warm for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like no one cares about weather. I don't know why I'm even saying this, but like actually, we <laughs> care a lot about weather. But it's not that interesting <laughs> to talk about. This is a really exciting podcast, <laughs> Utah weather chat. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was like in the 70s earlier this week, so it did take a dramatic uh, turn this morning when all of a sudden you look outside and there's flurries of snow. So yes, there it is. Okay, well. well Fun weather. Thanks for the listen. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, well, I ask about the soup because I am also eating soup because it's yeah. very, very appropriate for today. It worked on you too. What, what kind uh, yeah. of soup are you having? Well, That's mine is actually fully homemade. However, I did not make it. So my day, as we were kind of talking about uh, chatting before we started recording, I've had a very, very busy month with work and have been working lots of long hours and... Um, all sorts of things. And because of that, me eating food is mostly me buying things on DoorDash because I don't have time to make anything myself or I end up like scrounging around and eating whatever I have. So, um, so anyway, my roommate, however, made a whole pot of homemade beef stew today and homemade cornbread. So that's what I have been doing. Why didn't you invite us over? (laughs) Now I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember how that whole thing you said you were sneezing earlier? Yeah, that's a fair point. (laughs) Yeah, you stay where you are, Sarah. (laughs) Um... Anyway, so that is what I'm eating, and it is it is truly delicious. So shout out to my roommate for making that lovely food. Um, that's intern Melissa, friend of the podcast. Even though <laughs> yes. She doesn't actually listen, so she doesn't know that we call her that. <laughs> Nor is she a, a real intern of the no, podcast. No, I, no, that's just what I call her that. But yeah. we call her intern Melissa because she has given us some ideas and <laughs> sat in while we have discussed lots of things. So, um Okay, well, now let's move on to our uh, new favorite segment, Take That, Jeff Bezos. Uh, So let's talk about where I got my copy of this book. As we're going to talk about in a second, The Country Girls is actually a trilogy encompassing three different books, and it was um, republished, I don't know, several years ago as a, a, a full trilogy instead of just the individual novels. So I have the full trilogy, and I got it from a little bookstore called uh, the Bryn Mawr Bookstore in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Aww. This is right, yeah, this is not in the Harvard Square area. There are several in the Harvard Square that we have and we'll talk about. But this one is um, closer to the Cambridge-Arlington border, which is actually really close to where I lived when I was in Boston. And uh, it's, But it's just a cute little store. You walk in, and it's just, you know, books from ceiling to floor and wall to wall. And uh, we had a fun little conversation with the um, the owner of the store while we were there. We were there Boston like right before closing. And um, yeah. So anyway, that is where I got my <laughs> copy of this book. I okay. love it. I wish I could go. I want to go explore Boston bookstores now. Now that's kind of, you've put me in that, in that headspace. So thanks. Oh, I know. I know. You paint a good picture, Erin. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I'm here to do. It's all about storytelling, guys, and I'm telling mm-hmm. you stories of bookstores. Uh-huh. So there you go. If only I knew, like, their history, that would really add something to it. Maybe I should look that up and see if I can find <laughs> it in all my spare time. I mean, I think it's fitting that it's the Bryn Mawr bookstore for this, like, yeah, yeah, women I agree. some women books. There it is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, let's talk for a second. So, um... Just a quick background on the book before we jump right into it. 
for a book that is that is as contentious as this one was when it was published, there's kind of a shocking lack of information out there or of um, like critical review of the book. And I think some of that is because, um, as one of the articles that we'll talk about mentions, the salaciousness of it or kind of, you know, the um, the scandal of the book you know, the the quality and the content of the book kind of got wrapped up in the scandal of its publication. And so I don't know that there have been a lot of people who have critically reviewed this book, even though many, many people call it a seminal work in terms of female Irish authors, in terms of the um, themes and the other stuff that it that it dealt with in the book. So it's kind of interesting to to try and research this book, because there isn't really that much out there. However, as we were just talking about, um, The Country Girls is a trilogy, so it's composed of three separate novels. The first one is The Country Girls, which was published in 1960, and then The Lonely Girl, which was published in 1962, and Girls and Their Married Bliss, which was published in 1964. Our discussion today is going to focus primarily on the first novel, The Country Girls, but we'll probably also reference the other two <laughs> just because they do really go together, and as, as we'll talk... Um, you know, the end of The Country Girls is not terribly satisfying, and it kind of just leads you right into the, the later books. But we will focus our conversation mostly on that first novel, The Country Girls. Um, also, if you have been following along with the podcast, as we have stated in previous episodes, fair warning that there will be spoilers as we talk about this. Um, Although, yeah, there will be spoilers, but... Um, the end that okay anyway there was spoilers cool we'll just say that yeah yeah um okay so let's talk real quick about edna o'brien also because i think it's important to give a little bit of color on her before we dive too far into um into kind of the critic or the um how the book was received when it was published so Edna O'Brien was actually born Josephine Edna O'Brien in 1930 and she was born in County Clare Ireland um, she, it's, it's interesting when you read about her because, um, she was heavily influenced by, uh, uh, James Joyce and it's just interesting to like, when you read articles about her, she sounds like a very polarizing figure. There are people who, I mean, she clearly ha- like had this very significant impact on Irish novels and Irish literature, but there are a lot of people who just really don't like her and think that her personality was kind of abrasive. And um, who are these people? Are they? Were they men? Are they men? <laughs> <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> that was my question too. So were these people men? And they're like, I don't get these books. Uh, this is weird. That was the impression I got. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would kind of seem that way, right? Like she also. It's interesting because the country girls, so the country girls is, uh, let me actually give a a quick synopsis of the country girls because it fits in with our discussion on Edna O'Brien herself. So um, here's the description. I pulled this from Wikipedia. I thought this actually was the best one that I was able to find. So Kathleen, uh, Kate Brady, and Bridget Baba Brennan are two young Irish country girls who have spent their childhood together. As they leave the safety of their convent school in search of life and love in the big city, They struggle to maintain their somewhat tumultuous relationship. Kate, dreamy and romantic, yearns for true love, while Baba just wants to experience the life of a single girl. Although they set out to conquer the world together, as their lives take unexpected turns, Kate and Baba must ultimately learn to find their own way. So what's interesting is that some people have thought or have kind of claimed that Edna O'Brien, this was kind of a thinly veiled memoir 
um, because there are some similarities to her own life. I think she was fairly dissatisfied with the environment in which she grew up and wanted something bigger, something better. So there are some similarities there. Um, beyond that, though, I don't know how much the similarities continue, but there are people who have who have kind of claimed that. So there's an article I found in um, the Irish Times, um, and it's all about this book, and I wanted to read a little bit of it because it gives, um, it kind of sets the picture for how this was received and why it was such a big deal. So The Country Girls, one of the most famous, infamous, beloved, and influential Irish novels of the 20th century. Uh, even in a century notable for Irish novels, satisfying the criteria for each of these categories, The Country Girls' formation and publication, along with the resultant public outcry, hold a singular position in literary lore. Um, so a few things that were notable about it. First of all, it was written very fast. So Edna O'Brien herself, um, it, it basically was written in like three weeks. Um, that's how fast she wrote this. And she says, the well, the book, Faulkner. Yeah. And she says, well, the book wrote itself. And um, anyway, and then <clears throat> as far as the reception, so it was banned by the Irish censor. It, it was put on Irish censorship lists almost right away for sexually explicit content. It was also publicly burned um, by a local parish priest. And, um, and then Edna O'Brien herself uh, had a whole bunch of people write malevolent, sorry, malevolent anonymous letters to her because of the outcry. So um, yeah, so she, so she ended up in this really interesting position where she's both a national pariah and also this like instant celebrity right? Because of the outcry. It's so interesting how you try to censor something, you try to ban something, and it immediately brings it to everyone's attention, right? Like, I don't know that censorship has quite the impact that a lot of people think it should um, when they are trying to censor something. Right. I mean, or the idea that, like, uh, I mean, I do think that her gender plays a role here. Like, absolutely. I, mean, I think mm -hmm. that, yes, there's probably salacious things in there, but there are salacious things in other books more salacious than, than, than this. I was than like, this. <laughs> so, yeah, this I, was pretty mild, especially considering some of the other things we have read and will be reading. So I don't see it as that. I think it's that it's um, a hard book for, I think, some people to probably wrap their brain around a little bit because mm -hmm. um, it just isn't she does stuff differently. She writes differently. She's writing about the minds and the workings of young girls and then women in the later books. Right. And yeah. so I do think that that is the objection. I mean, let's face it. It's not like it's better today. Like women get a lot of, uh, malicious content written about them and people take a lot of issue to stuff that women do on, you know, all the time. I think there's right. Are you pretty, like pretty mean like online discourse stuff yeah i yeah, mean i, I do say. think yeah i do think the uh the context of his publication makes a pretty huge difference right as mm -hmm. it's as she's kind of talking about this coming of age story in very like you know realist terms right it's not like a dreamy fairy tale novel it's very it's very real and explain you know exploring what young girls think about and talk about in in pretty frank terms nothing nothing scandalous that's what well, i'm saying i just think it's right, like but, something people don't want to glimpse into but i was right? gonna say but like the the i feel like probably the literary establishment and just the regulars have just like you're, you're talking mid-century ireland and how powerful the catholic church is and and the people having these conversations are catholic men and they are going to be you know scandalized by the content of this book as but as we read it with 2020 eyes it's so 
I know. How dare those women have thoughts? (laughs) How dare they? Yeah, like they 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 think about their bodies and their you know their sexual desires and express those thoughts in any way or other things. I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. think that like in it in its day, especially given the place of its publication, it was especially shocking. For sure. Yeah. So as the article goes on, it, it says. You know, as often proves the case, the moral hysteria that greeted the book's first appearance has since ensured that both it and O'Brien have become era-defining symbols of the struggle for Irish women's voices to be heard above the clamor of an ultra-conservative, ultra-religious, and institutionally misogynistic society. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it says, of course, O'Brien then added insult to injury by becoming a huge international success, especially in America, which apparently was not looked on kindly. Um, so she was, so suddenly, you know, in addition to having this like very, you know, conservative culture, right? She is now taking up space in the room where it was all about the great men of literature and they were not thrilled to have her there. And so it talks about how, you know, Frank O'Connor and L.P. Hartley both embarrassed themselves with dismissive comments about her characters being nymphomaniacs and the author herself simply displaying a poor taste in men. Oh, jeez. So, um, but, but, you know, the whole, the whole point of the book is that it, well, not the whole point, but, you know, a big consequence of the book is that it is kind of shedding this light on, um, you know, the very real implications of this very rigorous, uh, rigorously enforced society, you know, these cultural norms, religious norms, etc., the intellectual stagnation in the area or in the country at the time in the early 60s. Um, you know, this was very much like women were not, you know, they did not have their own emancipation in a lot of ways. And so this was, you know, they were there to serve their husbands. And it was this very, very, very traditional society. So, and sex yeah. sex was viewed with so much shame, right? Sex was about procreation. Oh, and, absolutely. And that's all. And the idea mm-hmm. of a woman right. having any interest in sex, yeah, would have been just... I oh, also think that the We have to burn this book immediately. The like, depiction of the damage. men... Also, was probably something they took issue on too. Like the men don't come across mm, great at all, yeah. right? So I think that there's, you know, like all oh, these girls like they're just totally disregarding her father. Like she's not even listening to her father. How, but again, oh, that's so that's interesting. Horrible, because it's coming from a woman. Like you think about yeah. these other like Irish men and like their character, the characters in these, you know, these great literary giants, uh, Irish literary writers. It's not like they're writing about upstanding characters, you know no, what I mean? Right. But the fact that it's that it's coming from a, a woman is so subversive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And challenging challenging mm-hmm. the status quo. So, you know, I mean, part of this too, you know, as this article is saying, is that not only is O'Brien giving voice to the voiceless, but she's also washing the nation's dirty laundry in public. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and it's laundry that was so dirty that 50 years later or whatever, right? Like there's yeah. still... 50, 60 years later, there's still repercussions from from the way that that culture works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, you know, so yeah, it's not hard to see how um, how this would have been, have not been received well. But anyway, nevertheless, um, here it is, and we have it. So that's fun. Let's talk about what we thought of it and our own reception of it. Um, Sarah, let's start with you. What did you think? Um... Well, I was in a kind of a tricky headspace, emotional space these last few weeks as we've been, uh, as we've been trying to get this read for the podcast, kind of negotiating serotonin levels and changing medication. So, like, my brain was a little, like, 
the book didn't hold my attention. And I think that does my, my, my reason for prefacing that is I don't think it's the book's fault. I think it's, you know, I wasn't like coming into it with it being able to focus on it very well for, for lots of reasons. Um, and I didn't get it finished, but I, um, I did appreciate just kind of like the quiet clarity of the writing. It was not flashy. It was not sweeping. It was not, there were parts that made me chuckle. I would say, I was about to say it's not funny, but there were parts that were funny. But like, it was just an interesting, really kind of clear, distinct voice that I did like. But again, I found myself, my thoughts wandering to other things and other stuff. And, 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 and again, I blame that on (laughs) medication and serotonin and not on the quality of the writing, because I thought it was a great book. Uh, I'd probably give it like a four of what I read. And, um, and someday I'd like to go back and, and give it the focus that it, that it deserves, because I, I just wasn't, you know, yeah, it's 2020, you're just trying to kind of find the right place to just survive and stay above water. And it was just something that I couldn't, couldn't quite focus to, to kind of get me there, you know, but anyway. Fair enough. So do you have a star rating? Yeah, I said four stars. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that part. Pay attention, Aaron. (laughs) Hashtag 2020. Sorry, guys. (laughs) See, Aaron can't even pay attention to me as I'm talking about the book. (laughs) Well, I'm getting lost in Sarah's dialogue here about, you know, like dealing with the world and trying to read (laughs) this book at the same time. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, thinking about my own like last few weeks. So I just got lost in my own thoughts there. There you go. Um, You were just so moving and persuasive. (laughs) I'm glad I was able to, you know, inspire some reflection there. Uh, Liz, what about you? Um, So I was reading, uh, I read the, I read all three of them actually. And I wanted to just to keep going and find out if they're going to be okay. And, <laughs> like, it kept me going to find out if they're going to be okay. And I read, it's, all three of them, it's, it's not short. I mean, it was, you know. Yeah, that's, a, it's yeah, a, that's substantial. It's a, it's a big read. Yeah, It was, like, 600 pages. No, just kidding. 500 pages. Sorry. Anyway, the point is, is, like, I just kept reading it. And I kept reading it. And I watched these women grow up. And um, it's a coming-of-age story um, that I read but didn't love. Um, it, okay. At first, I was kind of reading it, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, it makes me think, it makes me want to read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which I love. Right. And then... I would it, agree with that. And then yeah. I was like, oh, this is, really reminds me of the Elena Ferrante books, and it really does. Like, that, to me, is they're very, very similar, mm. and it made me just want to keep reading those books, and, like, it kept, it reminded me of some books that I love, and it, because it is in the world and the mind of these women, and I loved being in their world and I liked in their minds not in their world I felt like the world was pretty bleak yeah yeah so but like their glimpse into their friendship and what was happening was so fascinating to me but I wanted them just to be okay and they weren't (laughs) spoiler they're not okay thanks for that (laughs) they're not they're not okay like they're not and then I wanted them to find happiness and they don't, and I wanted them. That doesn't to... surprise me. the The tone yeah. of the book it's such it's a pretty big downer for sure. Like, I mean, when she says the third the third book is called the bliss of the girls in their marital bliss or something. The girls yeah. in their marital bliss. Yeah, they're not in marital. Yeah, bliss. that's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole thing is them like trying to escape that marital bliss, having like they 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 
I, I guess my point is, is like their whole, if, when the description is that they're trying to find love, they're not. Like, it's weird. Like, they're just the people that they, I don't know. Like, none of the men that they attached themselves to were painted in any desirable way for me to like want to have them be with those people and I can see why they didn't end up wanting to be with those people like I just was kind of not interested in the men part of the book and that is a lot of what was happening it wasn't the only thing that's happening it was also their relationship but then I also felt like their relationship was kind of weird too and it was at least in like from the 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 bit of the first novel that I read. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of a toxic vibe they had going. But I do think I mean this is where it kind of reminded me of the Alana Ferrante books too, right? Is that they it's like this idea of a female friendship that um like lasts for years and years and is important more important than the romantic relationships they have, and. Um, but isn't necessarily, like, a sweet Anne and Diana friendship, right? Like, that's an Anna Green Gables reference, just so you know. We think our uh, listeners should know that. There's no <laughs> need to My point is, is, like, I love a good coming-of-age story, and they're sweet, and this one was not sweet. Uh, so I still like it, but I just didn't... I wasn't satisfied with it, I guess is my point. Like, I liked reading it, and I kept waiting for them to get be okay and they just never were How'd and you i don't feel know why about, i thought they were about the the writing obviously it was written well enough to like pull you along and keep yeah, you invested right. yeah i i think the writing was 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 good i have no qualms with her and like the 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 world that she built kept me going honestly i didn't have to keep reading it i kept going and i wanted to find out what's gonna happen so for that i see it as having its merit i just was kind of like left feeling a little cold i guess is the way i would put it yeah that's um, fair so um i would say i would probably give it mm, mm, <laughs> i mean maybe i shouldn't have kept going <laughs> so um i'm gonna say a 3.7 all right okay mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. I, I can see that okay that's fair enough mm-hmm. um what about you Aaron? Yeah, so I, I mean, first of all, the fact that I was able to finish, uh, I did not read all three because I am not Liz and I do not have her superhuman reading capabilities. Um, and I'm not even kidding when I aspire. talk about those. Yeah, she's a yeah, speed reader. Yeah. She, it's, it is really impressive how much Liz, how much reading Liz gets through. And I'm like, 15 pages tonight. All I need is 15 pages. Um <laughs> This is like, I do that in like 10 minutes. <laughs> I know. Anyway, point is, um, so, so like, in some of these books, it's, they kind of drag, right? Like you kind of have to pull yourself along through them until it kind of gets to like, like Charles Dickens. I love Charles Dickens. I love the stuff he writes, but you kind of have to like get yourself through a good chunk of the book before the stories start to merge together. And it gets like really interesting. And so this one, I actually was very impressed with the fact that, like, I could look up and it would, I, you know, 30 pages later, and I wouldn't even have thought about it. Like, it was very easy to read. It was very easy. The story kept pulling you along. Um, it wasn't necessarily a fast-moving story. Like, there were some elements of, like, Belcanto that I kind of felt in that, right? Like, Belcanto was not a fast-moving story for a good chunk of the book. 
but it kept pulling you along. And the way it was written, I thought was kind of a testament to that, that it could keep pulling you along in this, you know, relatively simple world. That being said, yeah, it's kind of a downer and it's not terribly like, you know, I love my happy endings, right? And I can appreciate the significance of realistic writing like this um, or, you know, writing that isn't always the fairy tale happy ending. And it not that it needs to be because that's also boring if every book is a fairy tale. <clears throat> but yeah, like I wanted them to get some sort of happy ending and I just kept feeling like, I don't know, even though I didn't finish all three books, I was like, yeah, this is clearly not, they're not, this is not written where they end up with a happy ending. This is written where they just live their lives and try to find satisfaction somewhere. I mean, I think it is just kind of like a testament to the power of the, if the power if the book statement is the, you know, the lives of women in Ireland at this time are pretty miserable. Like, (laughs) this is what it, this is what it looks, this is what it looks like. Even the women who are trying to maybe break free of certain things like that's a miserable like hard going process too and mm-hmm. um it's, it's it yeah no, i should also mention that the third book is mostly in london by the way interesting mm-hmm. um, they get out of london they get out of ireland ah. well and the third book is also different because it's written it so like the first and second books are written from kate's perspective mm-hmm. but the third book includes baba's perspective um and it's kind and of baba flipped. is bitter she is mad (laughs) she's mad she's really mad (laughs) well not a surprise i mean you can see that coming like you know miles away like as soon as the book starts you can tell that that that's the direction that she's heading and i I, you know i get frustrated with certain things i was really frustrated with um baba i did not like her and i did not like the in the relationship that she and kate had like i mean there were times when it was you know, they were looking out for each other, but part of me wanted to be like, come on, Kate, like, be your own person here. Like, stand up and be your own person. And why are you giving her your mother's favorite ring when you know that, like, she's not going to care about it and she's not going to, you know, like, why are you letting her do some of this? Um, so, I don't know, there were elements of that where I got really frustrated. But yeah, it's interesting to, well, okay, before we get too far into it, um, let's, so I think I would give it... I'm probably in line with Liz. I'd probably, I'm probably in like the 3 to 3.5 range. I liked it. I f- could follow along with it easily and it kept me interested. You know, I, I, there were plenty of times when I was like, oh, I want to go keep reading uh, my book, um, which is not always the case for, this, for some of these books. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I think I'll walk away from this and I don't know that I'll think about this book again, right? Like, I think I'll move along and be done with it and I guess that's also a testament to the time period in which we live because the stuff in here is not as shocking to me as it would have been if I had been in Ireland in the 1960s when this was published so that's not to say that the story is not important but my opinion of it now is like okay I'm glad I read that and now I can move on I almost think I think mean, that's a good point. I think you have a good like moving on, but I think that there are some like shocking things that like if you were to read this now, you'd be like, uh, "She's not okay. Like, this is she should not be with this old man." <laughs> like, oh is, well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, it's a testament to its time, but like, there's no way. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just thinking like today, this is not. Uh, I anyway. think I think where 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 I hear Aaron coming from there is just like. Yeah. 
<laughs> like there's just so much happening like in the world around us yeah. now that it's like okay I read this but it's like no I know it's, I get it's hard too. to compete with everything else right like it it, it it it's kind of more of its time and and it's a little bit more of a of a deeper cut and I think there are rewards if you're willing to kind of like mm-hmm. really kind of an invest the time and the energy to explore these characters yeah, and this writing yeah. but like I think just there's just uh, the world we live in now is like all right on to the next thing right like it's, it's mm-hmm. it is it just made me happy not to live back then yeah oh well yeah yeah 100%. 100% like I'm like I'd way rather be in this world it, despite this world right now yeah. I would way rather be there than but that's just an interesting thing like I hadn't thought about that right like the idea like the idea of a book of a book staying power a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and in and how it's that's impact on you, and I think that's mm-hmm. a I think that's a telling thing for sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, because there are other books, right? That even books that we've talked about that are incredibly significant when they, you know, when they're published and they have this huge impact on the literary world, and and they have incredible staying power. So I think this one is kind of an interesting one where it came out, it had this enormous impact on its country and the world as a whole because she became kind of this international sensation not just a national figure but i don't like i don't hear anyone talk about this book like this is not even though it's been included on lists of you know top 100 books and things like that i don't know like i don't think i ever would have come across this book ever if it weren't for this podcast yeah mm-hmm. you, you you really don't hear people talking about it or referring to it as the seminal classic that you have to read like this was a right. bit of a discovery and it just was kind of like, okay, next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, let's talk about some of the themes in the book. I mean, we've already started discussing some of this, but I kind of want to talk about them more. So some mm-hmm. of the things that I had on my mind were topics like, you know, the role of women in the book. Um, I think Kate's relationship with Mr. Gentleman is one that I think is interesting to talk about. Um, you know, Kate's and Kate and Baba's friendship. Another one in some of the relationships, the other relationships, you know, family relationships and dynamics in the book. So um, I think, I mean, we've kind of already started touching on the role of women a little bit. I th- One thing on that one before we kind of move off that topic, I did think it was interesting. You know, a lot of people have, and I think we mentioned this earlier, just said like, oh, Edna O'Brien just essentially hates men. Like clearly she just is like this man-hating woman. Um, super embittered by life. And I don't know, maybe there was a part, maybe there's a part of that that's true. However, um, I think that, uh, I think it's interesting to see the way that each of the women in the book are portrayed. You know, you have Kate's mom and um, her whole situation being married to an alcoholic and abusive man. You have Kate herself, you have Baba, you have Baba's mother, Martha, and her kind of obsession with staying young and beautiful. Um, Molly, the maid that works in the Brennan's house. Um, then you have like Mrs. Gentleman and her like nervous breakdowns and kind of hermetic, reclusive lifestyle. Um, you have Joanna, the house um, or the landlord, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're like, yeah, they're landlords. In, yeah. in Dublin, yeah. Yeah, in Dublin. And you have um, the shopkeeper's wife, the grocer's wife. Um, why can't I remember her name at the moment? Um, anyway, like you just have these... And the nuns. Don't forget the oh, nuns. All the, oh, good heavens. How, did, how could I forget the nuns? <laughs> um, anyway, so it's just like the way that each of these women are portrayed. I don't know what you guys thought, yeah. but they all had this element of like real unhappiness attached to them. And they were all dissatisfied with some element 
of their life. Well, the nuns were just like generally mean. She didn't, <laughs> they they weren't. There wasn't a whole lot of character development with the nuns. No. But um, kind of a character. Yeah, they were just kind of there. I, I feel like most of the women had a lack of like control over their lives, right? I mean, I do think the idea of the lack of control in is as a universal experience for all these women is a really interesting one, right? Like even, you know, these girls that are so young that don't quite know, and even older, right? Sometimes you don't know how to... Like they have less control when they're grown art- women. Right, articulate, yeah, but to articulate what that what that is, right? Like I think it takes, I don't know that these women had the ability to look at their lives and, and clearly assess that that was what... <laughs> what was the problem or what, you know, I don't know. So, um, but I was how that looks even in young children. Baba and Kate, when they knew that they weren't happy at their school, right? And they figured out a way to get sent home. <laughs> like, they, they <laughs> made it work for them. They took their lives into their control, and they went up to Dublin and took control of their lives, right? Like, they, I felt like that was the powering of those two, is that they did try and take control at one point. And then they would lose it again, which is what happens in lives. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's realistic. Yeah. But yeah, it's I so mean, I don't know that I would call that control. So I mean, yes, they did. But I almost felt like it was just a very like reckless. Um, you know, they had no plan, right? Like even when they were leaving the convent, Kate's like, you know, are they all going to be mad at us when we get home? Like, you know, <laughs> what happens when we go home? They just and... don't tell anyone what really happened. They all skirted under the rug. <laughs> I know, but like. You can you could imagine a scenario, and I think for Kate, this is probably maybe a little bit more poignant, where mm-hmm. she's thinking about going home and angering her father, right, or or getting in a situation where um, she's in trouble, and what that would mean for her, and that would have been a really scary thing. Like, in, you know, the convent didn't sound fun, but in some ways, it might have been a little bit of a, a refuge from what her she father. otherwise would have been facing at home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so it's interesting. Like, yes, they they took control of something, but they did it in this very like haphazard kind of reckless way yeah. without really any you know forethought as to what it what the implications would be. They made bad decisions. They really did. Like, yeah, they right. Really did. Like, I this, think that that's, I mean, that's a clear point. They made bad decisions, but they were their decisions. They were owning those decisions, and and it was you know like yeah, there's a sense of like chaos to that that maybe doesn't. Control doesn't feel like the best word, but I can also see you just being like, this is my life and I'm going to do what I want. Yeah, and I guess that maybe there's, you know, that's that's part of the point, right? Like, they weren't acting like the the way that young girls at that time were probably expected to act. Yeah. And so I can imagine, you know, even when Kate is about to go off with Mr. Gentleman and she's trying to think about who to talk to and she goes and talks to Joanna and... You know, and they're all worried about what the neighbors think because there's this older man who's coming over. And um, I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it, it's a good point. Like it it was, they were, they made their own choices, even though they were all mostly not great choices. Yeah. All the way through. Bad all the way through. Um, on <laughs> More that bad note, choices. <laughs> let's talk briefly about Kate's relationship with Mr. Gentleman and kind of the role of the men in the story because I do think that is interesting and I want to talk about that before we kind of move on. Yeah. So, any thoughts on that? I the first time I got an inkling of what was going on there, I was like, "Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. are you kidding me?" <laughs> and I got very frustrated. And the whole time I'm like, "Kate, he's not." This is not what you think it is. He is not as great as you think he is. Like, hold on. Like, wake up. 
Wake up, honey. I know. I kept thinking, oh, if only her dad were really a good person and she wouldn't need this from <laughs> Mr. Gentleman. Mm-hmm. Right? Although I thought Mr. Brennan was actually one of the better uh, men in the story, right? Like more, I don't know, upstanding, responsible, I guess. But even Baba was like, okay, Reginald, like 80-year-old man who mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, spend all my time with, I guess, and who may or may not have been married. I don't know. Um, I guess if you're just, like, looking for someone to take care of you and spoil you, which is, I think, somewhat, and compliment you, which is what they seem to get out of all this, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking about just, you know, that point you made about Kate looking for, like, a... <laughs> uh, a, a lovable father figure um, mm-hmm. in Mr. Gentleman. But I even think it may mean about Hickey, right? Like the... Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like that that seemed to be a really positive male force in her life that she'd lost and maybe was looking to replace that kind of affection. Um, I don't know. I didn't finish it. Hopefully something bad didn't happen with Hickey. But he, <laughs> he just disappears. <laughs> Well, yeah, he just he just goes away. He right? goes to London, like, and we never hear from him He goes him again. to England, yeah. Like, and when she has I was to send him eggs, and, and, and Baba makes and they mentioned Mr. Hickey. I'm like, oh, I don't want to read any more of this for because I don't want to spoil it. Like, obviously, it's gonna like there's gonna be like a Princess Bride kind of thing here, right? Like where Miss the farmhand is her future future. No, <laughs> no, that is not what happened. No, I just think he was no. an example of like goodness of 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 a good man in her life that was such a rare thing to find, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and he, mm-hmm. yeah, he he. he out um what about the fact what was mr gentleman's actual name because in my notes i just wrote i don't think he had one I, okay, no he did he did it was a french oh. it, it was a french oh that's right it was a french name and oh it was de maurier i remember thinking that because i was like yeah. oh like daphne de maurier yeah 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 it was they they mentioned it once at the like the very beginning of this of the book like yeah. is so i mean i just was really struck by how we have to keep calling him mr gentleman yeah because like for even sure, after he she thinks she's in love with him yeah it was yeah. just like the the I guess the romanticized version of this, like, hero, right? This, I don't know if he's a hero, but anyway, the point is, is that he, as a gentleman, and she wasn't a lady, and to, for her to have, like, this attention was more than she could withstand, right? It was just creepy. Not mm-hmm. my idea of, like, oh, this is a fun book to read. <laughs> 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 Ooh, this is, isn't this romantic yeah no, <laughs> right and i'm like oh surprise surprise he wants a, a secret and he uh is not gonna run away with her <laughs> i know well and i just i just felt so bad for her because i was even when they're talking about going away and she's talking about coming back and wanting to build with this life with him and all the things that one would naturally want out of a you know good relationship and he's you know just basically like, yeah, no, that's not where this is going. And I don't know. I just, I was like, oh, Kate, like, this is not going to end how you think it's going to end. You know, and she was so naive about things too. Like when Joanna's telling her, you know, don't come back, you know, full of baby or however Uh she phrases it. And Kate's sitting there thinking like, oh, that's not how, like, only married women get pregnant like a while (laughs) after they've been married. I'm like, okay. Someone needs to talk to you. Like you need. And even when Baba assistance. did try to talk to her, because Baba was afraid she was pregnant, um, she they did, they didn't know. They were so clueless. Like that was evident. Like even up through, yeah, they were just clueless about it all. Like mm-hmm. they had no knowledge whatsoever of how things work. That was frustrating. <laughs> well, and it makes sense because you yeah. you know you have you have well first of all 
Kate is almost an orphan. Mm-hmm. And her mother's not around. Her mother certainly, if she had continued to live, probably would not have had a very good opinion of sex and of, Mm-mm. like, healthy sexual relations. Mm-mm. And probably would not have taught Kate the same. In fact, you know, Kate talks about hearing her mother's voice and knowing how disappointed her mother would be at this, um, you know, love of this little tryst she's having with Mr. Gentleman. And then, like, yeah, like, I can just imagine that women didn't really talk about sexual development very much at this time right like this was not sarah's i think you said earlier like this was not how they viewed intimate relations and so you have these girls who know nothing and are kind of out there in the world just kind of at the mercy of these older men in some ways yeah so um okay well any other favorite characters or relationships or things that you guys found noteworthy i do think the relationship between kate and baba is is a pretty interesting one as far as just like exploring the dynamic between young female friendships as liz said it's no anna diana right it's not heartwarming but like i do think there's something really recognizable in it that probably a lot of women maybe might identify with from their own childhoods right like you (laughs) you found yourself friends with like the rivals and like um, Baba's pretty mean to her, but, like, yeah. Kate's, like, craving her approval, and, like, I think that's a, there's, like, an interesting, like, weird competitive, I think And protective. They're kind of protective of each other, too. Yeah. Um, but I just do think that, at least initially, um, the, the nature of that relationship for young girls is being like, oh, this person's really mean to me. Why, why am I friends with them? <laughs> <laughs> you, I don't know. I found myself in friendships like that as a, as a kid, and um, and maybe it's just like it just it's, it speaks to Kate's character and Baba's character in interesting ways, right? Like, and um, and I and I think that dynamic is not uncommon. Yeah, I actually thought their relationship was my favorite part too, right? Yeah. Like I said, I think in my what I liked about it or didn't or whatever is that their the their dynamic is the one thing that stays true throughout throughout the book and throughout the other parts of the book, but that they consistently are kind of protecting each other, but also like pushing each other and they're, they part ways from each other. And when they're apart, they make dumb choices. Then they come back together at the end. I mean, like, I just think that seems so realistic in some friendships, right? There's some that aren't like that, obviously, but that just seems like every friendship isn't magic. Yeah, but it's complicated. It's like mm-hmm. you can, you know, you oftentimes are really, really mean to the people that love you most or the people that you love the most, I should say. And um, and maybe that was a weird way for Baba to express, you know, express affection and and loyalty. And it's just, it, yeah. Um, well, it I think it's, mean. I mean, I think it's also very clear that, you know, Baba was dealing with her own issues and her own dissatisfaction at the world and at what she was seeing as the path before her and looking at you know her own mother and um you know and and probably also just craving some attention i don't know how good her relationship was with either of her parents really like there were times when it seemed like she was kind of neglected maybe and other times when it seemed like they were a little bit closer um And so I can just also imagine that a lot of that is, you know, acting out as a result of just general frustration with life. And so, you know, naturally, as you said, Sarah, like she'd take it out on the person who was there for her. And that was Kate and, um, and vice versa. Right. And, and, 
because we see it from Kate's perspective, but it's also pretty clear that Kate is not, uh, you know, wholly innocent in her interactions with Bobby either. Mm. But um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. It. I don't know that that was my favorite part of the story. I thought it was interesting. It frustrated me a lot of times. But um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it just evolved in so many different ways, right? Like, when it started out and she was like, oh, no, I'm going to be able to go to school. She's a very bright person, Kate is, right? And I'm going to be able to go to school, but that means I'm going to have to ride with their, the Brennans are going to give me a ride. And I'm going to have to be embarrassed. Like, Baba's going to have to, like, I'm going to have to kind of humble herself and kind of be in this inferior position with Baba. And that's kind of your first introduction to her. And then you think, oh, well, that's, I mean... But Baba didn't look down on her for that. Like, that was in her head of, like, something to to be to be worried about. But Baba really had other things that she focused on. And so I just thought it was kind of just an evolving perspective of, like, what they, what they worried about and what they brought out in each other and how they, you know, encouraged. Like, I don't think Kate would have ever gone to Dublin if Baba didn't go. Like, they had to have each other. Yeah. And I think they you know, pushed each other. They didn't do the identical things. They were very different personalities, but they definitely were the, like, driving force of the story, for sure. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Um, okay, well, on that note, let's, um, let's talk about pop culture. So, perhaps unsurprisingly, there's not a lot of pop culture um, based on the country girls. However, there are some fun things that I wanted to bring up. One, there was a movie made. There have actually been, it looks like, it, kind of a couple of um, adaptations, you know, screen adaptations of this. But one of the ones that um, caught my eye was the 1983, a 1983 movie with Sam O'Neill as Mr. Gentleman. And, ew, uh, ew, <laughs> ew. Or Sam Neill, I'm sorry, not Sam O'Neill. Sam Neill as Mr. Gentleman. Yep. So Jurassic Park. <laughs> yep. From the country girls to Jurassic Park. Um, and he, and that one actually, I've, I've looked it up online. I didn't have time to watch it before we recorded this, but you can only find that one on YouTube. I couldn't find it on Amazon, oh. Netflix, Hulu, none of the streaming services have it, uh, but YouTube does have it. So if you want to watch the 1983 movie with Sam Neill, uh, go look it up on YouTube. There's also, um, I can, I there, can imagine so many people are going to be seeking that out. <laughs> I know there's a surge in 1983 <laughs> version of the country girls. You can thank your friendly podcasters reading with Rory. Like they're like, um, what's with this uptick in usage here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tied directly to figure that out. Mystery. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, there's also like an eight part series also that you can also find on YouTube, um, et cetera. And then in 2019, 2019, so a year ago, there was a, uh, the Abbey theater in Dublin did a stage production of the country girls. And so I wanted to play this very short clip of the, uh, the cast reading out the first line of the book and the first line of the book is um kind of sets the tone for the book it's about uh, kate waking up and dreading her father coming home and the repercussions of having her father around so anyway here is the um cast reading that first line i wakened quickly and sat up in the bed abruptly 
It is only when I am anxious that I waken easily. And for a minute. I did not know why my heart, heart was beating faster than usual. Then I remembered. The old reason. The old reason. He had not come home. Alrighty, so there we go. That sounds it's very dramatic. Line. I know it does sound very dramatic, doesn't it? Um, well, that first anyway. part is dramatic. Like she's hiding from her abusive dad or mom, basically, you know, drowned herself. Right? Isn't that what the implication? Happening? Yeah. 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 Like she does have this like dramatic parent. Like I can see why. Like it's be- this beginning of a dramatic like story. So that makes sense for it to be very dramatic. Okay, that's fair. The music was just kind of a lot, that's all. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, there you go. So I think I think every so often a stage production will come around and um, kind of like a made-for-TV <laughs> movie, but really that's that's about it. I mean, for as, as big a figure as Edna O'Brien is, and there have been other, um, you know, there are other interviews of her on... Uh, online that you can find. She wrote a memoir not too long ago not too long ago called country girl just country girl and um anyway so there are some interviews with her talking about that memoir that you can find online and we'll post some of those on our website is she still alive uh she is that is a good question let me check she um she was born in 1930 and yeah she is still alive Mm -hmm. edna hit us up yeah there you go we can, we'll interview you. Yeah. <laughs> and she had, if you like men, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm get to the bottom of this. <laughs> um, yeah, so her memoir, Country Girl, was published in 2012, actually. Uh, she lives in London currently, it looks like. So, anyway, um, there you go. So that is um, The Country Girl. All right, so moving into our favorite segment, let's talk about what we are inspired to do now that we have finished this uh hidden classic um sarah what about you no i knew you were gonna come to me first (laughs) i mean i don't know i was inspired to call my psychiatrist to make sure my meds are at the right levels (laughs) (laughs) way to go that's important important. i'm glad that happened yeah Yeah, that yeah that's important a lot of women in this book probably could have used real a similar situation yeah um Okay, all right, Liz, what about you? Well, I remember, I mean, I told you it left me kind of cold, right? But I like a good coming-of-age story. So um, I just read The Blue Castle by L.M.M. Montgomery instead. And (laughs) loved that. It was a great afternoon I spent. (laughs) (laughs) I never read that one. There's nothing that's more, like, I'd never read her before. Comforting than a good L.M. Montgomery book, yeah. (laughs) um okay that's great it didn't Um, leave me feeling cold (laughs) it wasn't realistic at all but it did not leave me feeling cold so read that if you want a different approach go ahead all right and i have to say i think that that the way you describe it of you know left you feeling cold is totally on point because Mm -hmm. that's very much how i felt about it too i thought it was interesting it kept me going but it did not leave me with any sort of like warm fuzzy feeling 
That's okay. It doesn't always have to, but yeah, no, sometimes you want a book that does. Yep. And then you read The Blue Castle, and it's great. <laughs> and you do. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was a tough one. I kind of walked away thinking, oh, at some point I'd like to finish the other two novels. And then I'm thinking, oh, at some point I'd like to watch the 1983 movie. And then I was like, yeah, but I probably won't. So <laughs> after the, you read the um, Southwest Monte Cristo, is it on a bridge? Yeah, I have. I have to. I have a few books that I have to go back and finish before I start anything new. So you know, I'm I, I am not Liz. So I guess what it inspires me to do is to continue to finish the books that we read. That's really <laughs> that's what I'm inspired goal. to do. That's a really good. Out of this. It's a sense of accomplishment that comes with that. Oh no, that really is. I was so proud of myself when I finished this one. So, all right. Uh, have you read The Country Girls? What did you think? Please come join the conversation with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Reading with Rory. Or you can find us on our website at readingwithrory.com. You can also follow us on Spotify for playlists inspired by the books we read. I am not completely sure what we will put on this playlist, but we have lots of great playlists on Spotify. So go check it out. Also, the please Angela's don't- Ashes. <laughs> Yeah, just go listen to Angela's Ashes. We'll make them the same thing. Because um, they kind of have very similar tones to them. Also, don't forget to leave us a review. We love to hear how we're doing. And we love to find new listeners and reviews to help us. Um, so please go leave us a review online and share this with your friends. Uh, it's it's really fun. And I do want to give a quick shout out to friend of the podcast, Kelly, who I think is maybe one of the few people aside from the Thomas family who has listened to um, most if not all of our episodes which is really fun so um, anyway go leave us a review alright next time on Reading with Rory we're going to be discussing Cousin Bet by Honoré de Balzac Uh, we are excited for that and hope that you will join us thank you for listening and reading along with us and we will catch you next time bye